0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Lord, our hope is in you, especially in this season and in this hour. We again come together to declare that our allegiance is to you, Lord, Our trust is in you. Our hope is in you. And I pray once more, Lord, as we open your word, that we would be anchored in that reality. And that, Lord, no matter what happens in this life, Lord, there's no turning back. No matter where you lead us, for you alone have the words of eternal life. And so no matter what, It looks like for us, we're all in, Lord. We are all in with you. You are all in with us. So I just pray, God, that you would bless this time with yourself, being present and moving and speaking. Open your word this morning to us, that it would be more than the letter of the law, but it would be life-giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, welcome those of you who are here. Thanks for coming out on a Monday morning, a little bit different, and those that are joining online and uh, those that will watch later on. Um, but as we shared yesterday, uh, I really wanted to take a moment and uh, and have some time to uh, to talk with everyone today in light of... The fact that tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's Tuesday, right? Yeah, tomorrow is an incredibly significant moment in uh, in our history, uh, in our nation. Um, it's uh, it's a really, really big moment. And so we've been talking about God and government, uh, really the last two weeks, even this past Sunday. And uh, I'm kind of a little bit thrown off because it feels like it was a week ago. But yesterday we had service. The week before that, uh, we started on God and government. We spoke about um, these four questions that I wanted to really walk us through as we prepare our hearts for voting. And we were supposed to finish the other three yesterday, but God moved in a little bit different direction. And uh, But I wanted to get it in. So today we're going to uh, get those other three questions in, which I'll get in in just a moment. Uh, let me just back up for, for one second and just say... That The topic of God and government, a lot of times in our culture we say, no, no, those two don't go together. We shouldn't have that happen. But one of the ways in which God has revealed himself is in the imagery of, of government. I mean, Jesus is a king. And he has a throne, and he has a kingdom. I mean, God, God, God is a God of government, and uh, even the agents that he has on this earth, it has incredible potential to be something beautiful. Uh, If if that agent of of government of government does not see themselves accountable to God, it can be really destructive and oppressive. But there's something uh, there's some there's 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 a lot that God speaks about this, and we can't shy away from this topic. Uh, In fact, uh, interestingly, and I'm going to just openly put this out there, even though we're live streaming on Facebook, who knows what will happen, but because of last Sunday speaking about God and government, um, our Facebook page has been censored. We can't share anything out anymore. We can't invite people in to watch our services right now. I think it's deeply connected to the fact that we spoke about that, but that's okay. We know that we've got to speak into this. It's an incredibly important topic, Um, so... I feel like the trap of the of the enemy is when there's really controversial things is just to stay away from it. Gifts of the Spirit, money, right? These are things like in the church where it's like, well, let's just stay away from it. The Bible has so much to say about it, and there's such uh, important issues in our life that we we don't have the luxury just to stay away. Government is really really important. We live in it, uh, under it, so we really need to get heaven's wisdom, and that's what we're going to be doing today. I shared with you a few weeks ago what we what we don't need is. Um, we don't need to be be primarily influenced by what we see on, on the news. It's okay to stay connected, but really what we need is we need God's word. We need something more than just our personal political convictions. We need to know what does the Bible say. I share with you guys two weeks ago, Psalm 119 verse 25 says, revive me according to your word. Revive me according to your word. So what we need in this hour is we need to be revived, especially in the realm of of government and what that means. We need the word of God to revive us. And here's what happens when we get revived by the word. Two things. Number one, it will confirm you. Meaning there are certain beliefs that you have pertaining to this topic that in the word you'll find out that's true and therefore you should be passionate. You should stand boldly for those things. Yet at the same time, the word will also revive you by not just just, um, uh, uh, confirming you but also confronting you. It will also begin to speak and highlight biases, blind spots, idolatries, things of those natures. So we want the Word of God to do both. So today, uh, for those that are in person here, I've given you a handout for those that are watching online. Um, You can kind of just follow through and just listen. I'm not going to do large chunks of Scripture, but I'm going to share a lot of Scripture. Because I really want the Word to do the teaching, and I want to be revived according to the Word. So I believe that as we see the Scriptures, um, it's just going to be simple today. It's going to be succinct. I, I just... I want to just kind of really teach through some very practical things that I think will be extremely helpful, okay, as we prepare our hearts for tomorrow. So if you remember two weeks ago, we shared that the four questions I want to go through, and the first question was, who has my heart, right? And, and this was a bigger question of, of really I wanted us to really get rooted in Jesus as king over every earthly king. Even as we shared yesterday in, this, in Psalm 2, that even though the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain, and the rulers of the earth set themselves and the council and, uh, excuse me, kings of the earth and the rulers come together to take counsel against God, at the end of the day, the Lord says, I've set up my son as king. And we really need to be anchored in that. We need to be rooted in that. I want us to be encouraged that as we go into tomorrow as Christians, we're not entering in with fear in our hearts, but we have faith in our hearts no matter what it looks like. Um, one of the big takeaways from that opening week is Jesus taught us a revolutionary teaching about government, which is that we are called to be submissive citizens to government with our ultimate allegiance to God. That's when he was, they tried to trap him, remember, with the coin, and say, or, or try to trap him with, with taxing, and Jesus presented a coin and said, let me see, and says, whose image is on this? Caesar's, and he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. In other words, Caesar's image is on the coin, so he's worthy of that. But God's image is on you, so he's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your hope. He's worthy of your allegiance. So that's really where we were last week. We started with big, big picture because I wanted us to really get anchored in that. But today, we're going to now get more and more specific, even down to some really important issues that are, um, that, are, that are on the ballot this year and things that we need to consider as a Christian. So you've got a ton of scripture there. I know that uh, the students here have to get in the class soon, so we're just going to uh, kind of knock through some of these things and talk about it. Uh, we're going to go through these three questions. Before I do, let me say this. Based on where we've been, especially the last two weeks, I have been intentional to get us to set our heights higher, our, our sight and our perspective. However, we know that God is sovereign every, over every ruler of the earth, but rulers of the earth are very, very important. Okay, so we've been talking about kind of really knowing that no matter what happens, God is sovereign. And that is so true. But rulers of the earth are really, really important. If you look at the book of Kings, you, what you find is a really amazing pattern. In general, not for, not for all, but in general, the, the leadership of the king dictated the entire direction of the people. So when the leader did what was evil before the eyes of the Lord you found out that the people would actually follow. Now, there's always remnants. There's always faithful ones. That doesn't mean that everyone, but the general direction was that the people followed after the king, and as a result, not only were they led astray, but the position before God was affected as, as well, right? So this is really, really important. We know, like, the importance of leaders of, of nations. So look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to see this as well. This is just one example, of just seeing the importance of, uh, of leaders, and then we'll get into these three questions. Daniel chapter 8 verse 1 says, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. Why am I sharing that? Because leaders are so important in the Bible that oftentimes when prophets introduce themselves or about to give an oracle, it's usually always connected to who was reigning and ruling at that time. It's not just a way of chronicling things, although that's very important in the prophetic realm of knowing dates, times, seasons. The other important thing is that rulers, were whoever the ruler was, often was a picture of what was happening at that time. So typically prophets would say, for example, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Prophets would typically tell you who the king was so you'd understand what was happening at that, at that time. You'd better understand the messages that they were given. So... The leaders are very, very important. Look at Proverbs 29, two. It says this, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. So in other words, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. It bleeds down. So when you have people that are disobedient to God, it affects an entire nation. And that's a big thing that I want to highlight. We'll get into even another, in just a moment, is that on a personal level, like, we're good as born-again believers. But I'm talking about something on a national level here, right? This is something on a national level. Where we want our nation to have the blessing of God upon it. Our lives will forever have that because Christ is, is in us and, and our local bodies. But we're talking about seeing a nation really be prosperous, right? There are, there are Christians in countries right now where the nation is not blessed. They have regimes that are so counter to the word of God. Now, they're blessed. Kingdom's going forth. But I want to see our nation be blessed, right? So th- this is really, really important. Psalm thirty-three, twelve, says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He cho- He chose for His inheritance." So blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Uh, one of the thing I think one of the really clear examples of this is with King Ahab. King Ahab was wicked. That's Ahab, Jezebel. Under Ahab's ruler uh, leadership, uh, the heavens were shut up, shut up for three years. And now that was a literal shutting up, meaning there were actually no rains. But what's interesting is that water and rain is often deeply spiritual as well. And so I think it's actually an incredible picture of what happens when you have evil leadership over a nation. The heavens got shut up. Now look at Isaiah 45.8 for a moment. This is God's desire. It says, you, heavens above, rain down my righteousness. You see the the language, the heavens were shut up in Ahab's day where there's no rain. This is equating rain as to righteousness. Rain down my righteousness, let the clouds shower it down, let the earth open wide, let salvation spring up, let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And so the point is I believe that God wants there to be like an open heaven over this nation where, where righteousness and salvation are being poured out. Now, Jesus opened the heavens when he was baptized. We experience that. We walk in that in our own personal lives. Again, I'm speaking about something on a national level. We want to see like America, heavens open, righteousness, salvation, like just hitting every part of this country. And I do believe that who is in charge is a really important factor when it comes to that. All right? So... Um, Here we go. Three questions that we'll just kind of run through pretty quickly. Uh, Again, first question was, who has my heart? Big, big picture. Now we're starting to get more and more narrow. And I think the next question we need to ask, and again, it's going to be really practical, all right? But I, I think that's good, all right? We've gotten to some deep spiritual stuff the last two weeks. The first thing is, am I called to vote? Okay, am I called to vote? Are Christians, are we supposed to vote? I mean, is that... Uh, like is it where do we find is, is is that something we should be doing right well here's the challenge in the scriptures there's no clear command to vote you won't find it actually anywhere in the scriptures now why is that partly because christians that lived in the time of the bible being written which is under the roman government did not have the luxury of having a say in who their local leaders were so technically we do not see an actual command for christians to have to vote now it, why is that important I think that is important because we do need to be slow to call something sin that the Bible does not outrightly call sin. Now, we can make a case, we will, how important I think it is to vote, but we need to be really slow because once you start doing that, where do you draw the line? When we start putting personal convictions in of saying, well, this is sin because I have a firm conviction for this. No, no, no. The Bible actually doesn't call it a sin, so we need to be slow to say not voting is a sin. However, are there enough commands in the scriptures for us to be able to say, well, is voting just one small minor way of how we could fulfill that command? Like, is it a grace that we've been given where we could actually give our yes to God, right? Of course it would go more, but could voting be one of it? And I would I would lean towards absolutely yes, but let's look at it together, right? So here's a few scriptures I'm going to run with you, run through with you guys. First, Peter chapter 2 verses 13 to 14 says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, verse 14, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So this actually gives us a really interesting definition of government. Their job is to promote good and to punish evil. But we see here that That Christians are called to submit themselves. So subject ourselves to and support government for the flourishing of all people. Okay? So that's one thing. We'll we'll kind of tie this up in a moment. Number two, look at Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So the command here is, as Christians, we should be doing justice. We should be doing whatever we can to see the justice of God go forth, right? Which means we want to see God's character, who he is, like all people groups be affected by that. That should be applied to everyone. Everyone has the right, uh, certain rights. Number three, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39. Jesus talking about the great commandment. Love the Lord your God, and then verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number four, um, Proverbs 31, 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. We're called to be a voice for the voiceless, right? Number five, Jeremiah 29, 7. I think this one's incredible. It says, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. This was actually Babylon. The Jews were actually called to see see Babylon prosper while they were there in exile. And it says this in the next part of that verse, Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So if your nation prospers, you will actually prosper as well, right? So here we have to support our government for the flourishing of all people. We have do justice, love your neighbor, be a voice for the voiceless, seek the welfare of your nation. Now, clearly, as a Christian, we know that this has uh, an impact on our everyday life. But I believe without a doubt that from these scriptures alone... Voting is one way of which we can be a voice for the voiceless. We can look to have those that are in oppression um, have, you know, uh, oppressive systems that are broken and, and, uh, and done away with. It's a way that we can love our neighbor. It's a way that we can seek the welfare of our nation, right? It's a way that we can submit ourselves to our government. We pay taxes. We do all these things. One way is by voting as well. So without a doubt, I think, even though there's not a clear command, it is very clear that this is a grace that we have that we can actually Uh, be obedient to many things God has asked us to do. And one other thing I think is important to this. Um, In America, we're a democracy. So the question is, are we governed or are we the governing? Well, technically we're both. We are governed, but we're also the governing because who we select is the ones that are governing. Now, if you think about this, when God finds um, ungodly leadership... He holds them accountable, right? So, for example, I was thinking about this. God sent Moses to go to Pharaoh. He sent Elijah to go to Ahab. He sent Nathan to even go to David. He sent John the Baptist to go to Herod. When leaders do not do what's right, God takes it very serious and he holds them accountable. So, in a democracy where we have an ability to vote for our leaders, there's a place where God is saying, as governing citizens, I also hold you accountable for the leaders that you are selecting in these positions, so really, really important, I think, see, other cultures or even in the Bible, they didn't have this, but we really need to steward this well and say, wow, God, when, when leaders go off, God comes to them every time. I mean, there's places for them to be able to repent and whatnot, but he that's a really, really important thing because of the influence they have, and we have an ability to uh, determine who those people are. All right, you guys with me? Three other quick things, additional things that come, like questions that come with voting, and I've kind of hit on this first one, so we'll just do this quick, but I, I want to I, I word it this way. It's so important. Voting was, not, was meant to be just the beginning of your civic duty, not the totality of it. This is where we've been the last few weeks, meaning God wants your vote, but he wants something so much more. So, yes, we show up on, uh, to vote as Christians, to do what's right, and knowing these things, how important it is. But if all we do is show up to Tuesday and don't show up every day of the life... I don't think God's impressed by that. Uh, it's, do, am I a Christian because I wear a cross around my neck? Of course not. Am I a Christian because I've just voted for Christian values? Of course not. We actually have to live this out. So it's really, really important that, uh, one, that we know that, that voting, it's, it's just the beginning of our civic duty. It's actually not the totality of it. Right? So we know, and I'll get into this in a moment, one of the big issues right now is um, the issue of abortion and pro-life. Right? That's such a critical issue. So we need to go we need to support pro-life. At the same time, if all we do is support pro-life in a voting booth, and then afterwards when women who are under-resourced and had pressure of aborting their babies because they didn't know where to turn, now they're having these babies, and yet there's no one to come alongside them and provide resources for them afterwards, we have not done our job. It's not just enough to say, I'm going to vote for these things, and then afterwards do nothing about it, Right? So we need not just a healthy turnout on Tuesday. I think I said it yesterday. We need a healthy turnout every day. Like the world needs Christians showing up in their workplaces, in their families, in their communities. So this is important, but it has to extend beyond this, all right? I I was actually just reading recently through our Revelation study. I I don't know why it was brought up, but one of the chapters we were in. And it really, it really grieved my heart. Um, I wasn't really aware of this, but it's, it's, I mean, everyone knows this, that our country... Uh, it's a beautiful country, but it was founded on the really uh, on the oppression of the African American community. And I know, as 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 a, as a white male, it's hard sometimes to look at that because I don't want to see that. Uh, it's really it's like it's, it's some of the things that took place were just horrific when you see people being treated as as property. And what was what really gripped my heart is it said that when 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 they were voted for to have their freedom, right? When they were voted for to have freedom. When God set the Israelites free, because he set them free as slaves, he gave them land. He gave them opportunity. He gave them a place to flourish. He didn't just leave them in a middle ground. But when the uh, African-American community was set free, by and large, they did not receive that. So what happened was, is many of them actually returned right back to the horrific conditions they were living in in the south, because at least there was some form of provision. Or they went to the north, to the very people that voted for them to be set free, and they got the Christian cold shoulder. No one extended helps. You know what happened? They started forming these communities that now are many of the communities we see today that are under-resourced and underprivileged. Like as Christians, we cannot just vote for something and say, well, I did my job. No, we need to come alongside and really, really help. All right, so um, that's the, one of the things. Number two, uh, must I support every issue for the candidate I vote for? No. In fact, I would say if you are, you're probably blindly following someone. Because we have broken individuals, like we need to ask, where is their issues of immorality here? Where are their biases here? We need to hold, like as Christians, we have to have a higher uh, accountability, which is to the standard of Christ. So just be careful, like if if you're someone who says my candidate could do no wrong, there's only one perfect man, right? And as Christians, we we can be supportive, absolutely, and and promote the person we feel like is, is the best for the job. But at the same time, when someone goes off, we need to also be able to equally say, hey, I support him, but this is not right. Okay, it's very important we do that. And the last thing is, why, um, why would I vote if all governmental authority is appointed by God? Right? Isn't he just going to put whoever he wants into office? Now, listen, this is a whole nother discussion. But the misunderstanding here is that we think that statement means that God personally endorses everyone who's in leadership. It's not the case. What it means is that God ultimately has sovereign authority over government and that he can sovereignly choose who to put in and who to move out whenever he pleases. But it does not mean that everyone who serves in some position of office has God's personal endorsement, right? Does, does, did Adolf Hitler have God's personal endorsement? No. But what happens is we say, well, God appoints all governmental authority, so I guess that's what God wanted. No, no, that's not necessarily the case at all. In fact, clearly not. What it is is that God has given us an ability to make choices and contend for justice, and we have a responsibility in that. All right, so that's the first thing. Am I called to vote? Not a clear command, but overwhelmingly yes, I believe. Number two, we actually question number three is: What does my neighbor need? I think that's a really important question to ask. Is what does my neighbor need? Now, why is that important? As Americans, we love our rights. <laughs> And listen, many of these things, there's nothing wrong with that. Many of these things are actually God things, created in the image of God. There's a place where we should have honor and respect. But we love to say, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. No one's going to tell me what to do about that. To compound that, we have political leaders who typically their message is catered right to that very thing. Everything is about you, better for you, your personal preferences. The issue is then you get to the gospel message and Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. (laughs) And you say, wait a minute, this is so counter to what oftentimes we're promoting in this culture. You actually, Jesus says, you want to follow me? You have to lay down your rights and let me be the one who actually leads you. Every decision must come through me. This is actually the true way of of the gospel. And so what's beautiful is that Jesus actually models this. Here's a few scriptures. Look at Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Again, we're saying, what does my neighbor need? Because it's more than just considering what's going to benefit my own life when I vote. I need to really be considering what do other people groups, people in my community that are hurting, what do they need? And look at some of these scriptures. Look, verse 3 of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above themselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wow. So, when, so put the needs in the interests of someone else. Do we want to see our own lives benefit our children? Yes, of course. But that cannot be the only standard, right? In fact, it would go on to say, imitate the humility of Christ, who though was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he did not hold on to his divine rights. He did not say, this is my right and I'm not going to move from it. He said, no, I will freely release these rights to benefit this people right here. This is really important as Christians. So when we vote, we're not just saying, what is best for me and my family. That's, that's important. But when you say, God, what's best for the, the single mother down the street? What's best for the oppressed community? What's best for the voiceless, God? And I want to use my vote to honor, honor you and, and reach them and make an impact in their lives. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Wow. It's incredible. 1 John 3.16. For this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So if we are called to lay down our lives, we are certainly called to lay down our vote. (laughs) Meaning, God, not my needs first, what do others need? How can I make an impact in other people's lives first? Consider all people groups, all, all families and their needs, right? Jesus actually taught the fulfillment of life is found through loving God and what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. It's amazing. He says, you want to find life? Learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's not talking about self-worth, right? Because some are like, well, I don't love myself. That's not what he's talking about. Because it's written as a way as everyone loves themselves. So what is he saying? He's talking about the way that we take care of ourselves. Like everyone here is dressed. You've probably had food this morning. That's a sign that you love yourself. You've taken care of it. And what Jesus says is the same way you do that and care for your own needs, care for the needs of others in the same exact way. That's actually the way of Christ. So then we might say, well, who is my neighbor? Well, actually, someone asked Jesus that question, and he gave the story of the Good Samaritan, which we can't go through at all, but what we find out is that our neighbor is actually someone that's simply in need. That's all it is. It's not about skin color. It's not about uh, uh, educational background, none of that. Who's ever in need, Jesus says, that's your neighbor, and you need to help them, whatever that whatever that looks like, right? So here's just a few uh, people groups that the Bible speaks really clear about going out of your way to help because they need it. And again, voting is a way of which we can do that. Um, number one, the poor and the oppressed. The poor and the oppressed. You know that there's over 100 scriptures that talk about God's concern for the poor and the oppressed? Really, really important. That's, that's so important to the heart of God. Number two, orphans and widows... Again, it's not just about looking out for my own children, but orphans and widows, these families as well. Number three, the sojourner, which is also the foreigner or also the same word for immigrant, really important. Listen to this, Exodus 22, 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner or an immigrant is actually the same word. For you were foreigners in Egypt. It actually goes on, other scriptures, command us to care for them. And when we do, we're... we're, um, Accused of committing an extortion of justice when we withhold food, water, caring for those that are immigrants. Really, really important. So the poor and the oppressed, the orphans and the widows, the foreigners, the immigrants. God says, these people, these these are your neighbors as well. So seek to use your vote to benefit them. All right? So last thing, last question. We'll close here. We've got, who has my heart? Um, Second question was, am I called to vote? What does my neighbor need was the third question. Fourth and final question, how do I weigh the issues, right? Like, what are the Christian positions? Really important. Now, we're going to close here. This gets a little bit touchy, but that's okay because Jesus gets touchy. Uh, there were times where Jesus would come to crowds and say, hey, if you want to follow me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Have a nice day. And everyone's like, what in the world's going on here? He, I feel like he would intentionally do that to see how people would respond. Jesus is not afraid of putting out some really, like, controversial statements. So we can't be afraid to talk about these things because they're in the word. And ultimately, it's, it's a reflection of who God is. And when we do things according to God's design, life flourishes, right? So we need to see it from that. It's not about coming after people, but we want to see people live in what, the way God has designed them and, and so on and so forth. So one of the big things that we say when it comes to issues is the Christian position on an issue is... Dot, dot, dot. And whatever follows, we are now saying, this is really important. Once we say that, we're saying whatever follows that, every single born again believer must adhere to this. We are saying that Christ personally endorses this very thing. So, my first thing is we need to be very careful when we say the cr- Christian position on a topic is this if the Bible is not explicitly clear on that topic. That makes sense. Now, there are things that are very clear on but there are some that are not, and that's the challenge. For example, again, we're just getting like really technical, but this is important. The issue of immigration, very important to God. We just read that, but God does not give us any clear indication on the policies that we should put into place. We know it's dear to his heart, but he doesn't actually tell us which way to go. Same thing with taxes. God tells us to pay taxes to our governing authorities. He does not tell us the way exactly to do that. Is it high? Is it low? Is it flat? We don't know. So what do we do then? Biblical clarity is the first thing. How how much does the Bible speak on this? How clear is this issue in the Bible? And the second thing is practical consequences. That's where there's a little bit of us actually using the wisdom that God has given us to say, okay, God says taxes are important. We know that. But if both parties are saying taxes are important, then I need to say, God, which of these ones make most sense? Which of these ones are going to support not just my people group, but all people groups, right? That's where you can start to use biblical clarity and practical consequence. But where I want to close is my focus is on this. What about the issues where there is biblical clarity? That's really, really important, okay? Because there are issues where there is there's no gray area. God has spoken. And and in these areas, we need to throw out personal preferences of candidates. We need to throw out, well, you know, I like this person. No, no, no. We need to say which one of these men or women, however it looks like in the future, adheres to the word of God. That's the number one thing. I may not like. It doesn't matter. Which one is ultimately adhering to the word of God? So these things are not exhaustive. I just have four. Um, There's many other issues um, that I'm not even getting into because – racism racism is really important you talk about revelation reveals a picture of all nations tribe peoples like god's heart is that he shed his blood for every people group that's a really important issue like what which groups are fighting to contend to break racism um civil unrest Proverbs six i believe the lord says six things that he hates seven that he detests and the, and the last one says a person who causes strife in a community Right, So you could show that there's a, there's a lot of issues here. And so this is not an exhaustive list, but I do feel these first two especially are very critical. And the first one is pro-Israel, pro-Israel. Now, I can't go through in depth about all of these things, but as Christians, we are called to be pro-Israel. Our king is not an American. <laughs> He's a Jewish king. Israel is the apple of God's eye. We, we are called as Christians to support Israel. Now there's so much that goes to this. I'm gonna read one scripture with you, Genesis chapter twelve, verse three. This is Abraham. Now Abraham technically he, he's the father of the faith, he carries the seed of Israel. His son would be Isaac, Isaac would give birth to Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel. So this is like an initial blessing. Not just it's not just speaking of Abraham, it's speaking of the nation of Israel. And look at what it says in verse three. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So right from the beginning, God says, listen, Abraham, you and your people, whoever blesses you, they're going to be blessed. Whoever dishonors you and curses you, they're going to be dishonored. It's bigger than just Abraham. It's, it's the people of Israel. So as Americans, we've got to bless and honor. I, I'm not saying just from a personal like. Benefit, but there is. Like, if America's going to flourish, we've got to get behind, behind the Israelites. Now, there's a lot to it as New Covenant, the new Israel is Gentiles too. I get that, but, but there's something specific about, about Israel. Romans 11, such a powerful scripture. Romans 11 says this. It says, in essence, if through the disobedience of Israel, mercy went out into the world, meaning Gentiles were now opened up to receive the gospel, what would happen if they became obedient? therefore it says pray for Israel because if this happened through their disobedience what would happen if Israel came into faith in Christ and there are some but I mean in a massive place right so we support them we pray for them Um, they are a huge part so pro-Israel the second thing I think is two major things on God's heart pro-Israel pro-life pro-life is incredibly important according to the CDC in 2006 it's reported that there were 600 25,000 babies in America that were aborted 2016 625,000 babies were killed that's almost 200 abortions per every thousand uh live births that's an incredible number now just think about this when Cain killed Abel the Lord said that Abel's blood cried out to him the innocent blood cried out what comes before the ears of God When there's six hundred and twenty-five thousand aborted babies every year in this country, he hears those cries. That's a really important issue, a really important issue. You know what's really interesting is that when God begins to move, you know what Satan's one of Satan's primary plans were? He would start killing children. He did it with Moses. He did it in the time of Jesus. And I believe there's such an increase of abortion in this nation because God is birthing like redeemers in people's wombs right now. And the enemy knows it, and he knows there's something so powerful about to come, he's coming against this. And we as Christians have to stand up for pro-life because there are some, inc- I mean, there's just incredible calls in, in, in uh, women's wombs right now. Psalm 139, look at this, verse 13 to 14. says, for you created my inmost being... You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So, this reveals that God knows, loves, and forms children in his womb. Therefore, abortion is an affront on God's sovereignty as creator. It's an assault on God's glorious work in creation, and it's an attack on God's intimate creation with his creator, uh, creation. That's, that's an incredible thing. I, I never really thought about that, but God spoke to Jeremiah and said, before you were born, I knew you. So when they're in the womb, he says, I know, I know you, which means when you take a baby's life, you're coming in between God's intimate connection with his creation. It's really dear to his heart, right? So you've got pro-Israel, pro-life, and again, big picture. We want God's blessing on this nation. If we have leaders that are promoting this and and celebrating these things, guys, I'm sorry, like, like, God, that that just is not going to happen, so we've got to contend for these things. The last two things, third thing, marriage. Marriage is really under attack right now. God God has a heart for the family unit. The family unit is seriously under attack. Again, I know this gets really uh, touchy, but this is really important, that Marriage is one of the most beautiful expressions of Christ and the church. And God has created it between, between a husband and a wife. And both are made in the image of God. And what's so beautiful is that women can image God in a way that men can't, and men can image God in a way that women can't. When they come together, what makes marriage so holy is that you have now a greater opportunity to reveal God to the world. When you start distorting that, everything gets perverted in that. And, and, again, we've got to contend for, for, like, whole family units, what God has created. And, and, and sadly, I, again, it's not against any certain people group. It's not against them. It's sin and knowing that Satan has perverted things. Like, people are, when you live outside of the alignment of God's will, I don't care what you say, like, there is just emptiness inside. We've experienced it, right? So we're not coming against the people group, but we are coming against the sin knowing what it's doing, all right? And the last thing is gender. I think gender is another really important thing that's going on right now where it's under attack. And again, when you look at creation, when God created the the, the first six days, you know what he does? After each day, there was a holy separation, light and darkness. He would create uh, earth and and the waters. He did the same thing for man. He created two things. He said male and female. There's actually a word, I'm not going to get into it, but it's a holy separation. Both are distinct, unique, and image God in their own ways. When you start turning that around, life starts to break down. So we've got to also be voting for things that promote gender according to God's ways. And it's not just say we got our way. It's for others to experience fullness of life. All right? So those are just some things to to wrestle with. I hope hope that's helpful. I hope over these last few weeks we've gotten into, you know, big, deep stuff, but also just practically um, how you can best steward this vote. All right? So we're going to pray and close out. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 tells us to intercede and pray for our leaders and those in authority. So I want to leave us here by praying for that very thing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this nation that you have placed us in God that we actually have a voice in the kings over this region. And Lord, we desire to steward that well. We desire to bring, first and foremost, you glory through our vote. And God, we want to bring in leaders that are going to support and uphold what is dear to your heart. I pray against all of the the sideshows that the enemy has people focused on and I pray as a church we would come up to see what's on your newsreel God what is on your heart what is what is most important to you Lord and I pray Lord that we would vote according to that we pray for our nation we pray for our president right now we ask your blessing on him and the grace upon him God to lead well with all that that he carries And I pray, Lord, that whatever the outcome is at this election, Lord, I pray that our nation would look more like the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, for the people groups that are oppressed. We pray for the orphans and the widows. God, we pray for all of these these major issues that are happening right now. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not forget them when we go on Tuesday to vote. And, Lord, when we cast this ballot, I pray that there would be a burning passion in our heart to now live out the very things that we have written down. That, Lord, that, that the world would see us not just showing up on Tuesday, Lord, but every day. In every sphere of life that we have. And I just pray, God, your blessing. I pray against, I pray against rioting tomorrow, Lord. I pray against chaos in the streets I pray against this civil unrest, Lord. I pray for the peace of God to come upon this nation. Lord, I pray that you would lead people to their knees. You'd lead them to see you. Jesus, we need you. We need you, Lord. And I just come against that, Lord. Every scheme and strategy of the enemy to cause division in this nation, God. We come against it in Jesus' name. And I'm praying, God, that your peace would be on tomorrow. In the days to come, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.